This morning, if you want to make your way to Colossians, uh, that will be the passage we will use this morning to start Colossians chapter one, and we'll talk about it here in a moment. <clears throat> but I was thinking as uh, Ronnie asked me to speak this month, that, it, that it's uh, one of those things, if we're not careful, we talk a lot about Jesus, but maybe you don't know as much about Jesus. Matter of fact, if somebody who was your friend or a neighbor or a coworker would ask you about your faith, what are you most likely to share with them? Are you gonna to talk to them about Substance Church and the church you attend? Or are you gonna be very careful and comfortable talking about Jesus? Well, unfortunately, a lot of times, many of us are more comfortable talking about the church we attend than we are about Jesus. And we can completely miss things if that becomes the case. This week, Kim and I, uh, celebrated 42 years of being married. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, so we dated for three years. So 45 years we've been together. And if one of you would come to me and say, that's wonderful, tell me about Kim. Those of you who know her, I would say uh, the things you already know, but how kind she is, how compassionate she is, how sacrificial she is. And you make a friend with her, you're, She's your friend for life. How much she loves Christ, you ask her to pray, she's praying for you, all these things. But wouldn't you find it really weird if you asked me to tell you about Kim and I said, oh, well, the house we live in, you know, got a couch, two reclining chairs, and we usually eat supper, you know, 5.30 at night. We do some fun stuff out back. You would say, well, you're not telling me about your wife. You're telling me about your house. Why would that be? How well do you know your wife? That illustration can point to the way we deal with Christ and the church. And we know a lot about the church, but how much do we really know about Jesus? And so this month, uh, we're going to look into that. Jesus had this pattern in his life that... Uh, he always lived that I want us to think about for the next month. First, Jesus was always inviting people, always inviting people to come and see who he is. You see that all the way through scriptures. Jesus, uh, in John chapter one, after uh, he begins his earthly ministry and uh, right after he's baptized by John the Baptist, Two of John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus because John the Baptist had said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so two of his disciples, Andrew and the others believed to be John, it's uh, not noted in the scriptures, but most people believe it was John, come to Jesus and say, where are you staying? And it's like four o'clock in the afternoon and Jesus says, well, come and see. And some of the gospels report that they might have spent the whole evening with Jesus, but then the next day, they go out and tell their friends, look, we found the Messiah. Well, how do they know that? Well, John the Baptist said something. I think that when they came and spent time with Jesus, he revealed to them the scriptures that point to him being the Messiah. 
You see the same thing at the end of Luke, <clears throat> the road to Emmaus, right? Some disciples are walking after the crucifixion. Jesus comes with them. And it says that beginning with Moses and the prophets, he reveals to them the scriptures and that he was the Messiah. So Jesus was always saying, come and see. Then the people that come to see and believed in Christ, the second thing he would always do, he would say, come be with me. Come be with me. And when they traveled with Jesus, they would watch how he prayed. They would watch how he worshiped. They would watch how he used the word of God. They would watch how he interacted with people, how he loved them, uh, the ones that were even his enemies. And so they would spend time with him, come and see, come be with me. And then the last one is come join me. And it was that piece that Jesus would say then, Go and do the same things that I did. Join me in my mission. Live for me. Watch not only how I did these things, but now you go do them as well. There was a pattern in Jesus' life. And so as we go through this series, uh, I hope to point these things out to you and, and hope that that will be an encouragement to you. So this morning, uh, the first piece of this message for the next uh, four weeks is the person of Christ. How do you describe Jesus to people? How would you? Can you? Let's look in Colossians chapter 1 together as Paul writes to this church that was um, a new church and the early church is expanding and growing and multiplying. It was after the church was kicked out of Jerusalem by God because he wanted his uh, testimony to go out into the world. But reading the letters of Paul to these churches, you discover they were already being pressured and tempted to make their faith something other than just Jesus. What are the things that they were being tempted and pushed to make their faith about other than just Jesus? We'll look at some here. Some of, some of the churches were saying, well, you know, you could be a Christian and a follower of Christ, but you really need to go back to the Jewish roots you have and become a faithful Jew first. And then you can incorporate Jesus. Some would say, um, Jesus couldn't have been possibly God we can't believe that. Some, as you'll see in this portion of scripture this morning, were being pushed to say, well, angels were even greater than God or Jesus. And so they were getting off track and Paul wants them to be re-centered on Jesus. Colossians chapter one, we're gonna start in verse 15. And here's what Paul writes to this church to recenter them and make sure Christ is the thing of their faith. He writes this about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, meaning Jesus here, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, 
all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Let me pray and then we'll look a little closer at these verses. Jesus says, we read this morning your words, because all the scripture is your words about yourself. Might we be not only challenged, but encouraged in our faith, because our faith is about you. So open our hearts, open our minds to see and to hear you this morning. And we pray it in your name, amen. Well, the first thing that this section talks to us about the person of Christ, or taking a closer look, is that Christ is the creating Christ. He's the Christ of creation. It says so in verse 16. What's it say? It says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things. Everything made by Christ. You remember back in the book of John, the Gospel of John, it starts off, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then it goes on to say, in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You see that? It's the same pattern. Jesus is the creating Christ. Also in Hebrews chapter 1, it talks about um, in these last days, Hebrews 1-2 says, He has spoken to us by his Son in whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom he created the world. There it is again. Jesus, the creating Christ. And what comes to mind for you normally? You're thinking, well, yeah, Jesus says, God, I guess, kind of, maybe. Do you think about him being the creating Christ? Well, we'll think closely about these uh, words that are used in verse 16. It says that by Christ, through Christ's power, creation originated with Jesus because he's part of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Spirit. By him, all things were created. And they were created through him. Jesus, the mediating agent that carried this out, this creation. He actually brought it into existence. And scripture says it was spoken into existence. And it says not only by him and through him, but for him. Every single thing created, which is everything, is created by Jesus, but for Jesus. 
Stop for a minute and think about that. You and I have been created by Jesus for Jesus. You and me created by him and for him. That includes our souls. You think about things seen, that's easy to think he created. Think about the unseen, like our souls, the things that lives on in eternity, has been created by Christ. So you have a soul, something that lives on past your earthly existence. He goes on to say that things unseen include angels and the spiritual realm that we can't see with our eyes that have been created. Now, he didn't create the evil parts like the demons and those things. Those are fallen angels which rebelled against Christ. What does this mean? It means that the creating Christ, all things by him, through him, and for him, means that he's the rightful owner to everything. Your life, my life. He has rightful ownership. So think about how we live sometimes. Well, it's my life. I can make my choices. I can do what I want, right? Not really. If all things were created by him, through him, and for him, everything created by Christ. Secondly, I want us to think very carefully about Christ being the eternal Christ. Look with me in verse 17 specifically. It says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It says, before that, he is the image of the invisible God. Before all things. Jesus is not only eternal, but he is deity. He is God. Back to John chapter 1, verse 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that we looked at a minute ago, it also says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Not only Jesus, the creating God, but Jesus, the eternal God, the existing one. And so Jesus, when you think about his interactions with people, when he would say, come and see, and they spent time with him, most people didn't have a problem saying, oh, he's a good teacher. He's a prophet. He's a good man. You know what people had a problem with? When he started calling himself I am. That's God's self-revelation of himself. He had that happen in John chapter eight when a group of people are around him and Jesus says this statement, before Abraham was, I am. He said, before anything, I am God. And that caused a problem with people. It's easy to think of Jesus as the good man Jesus, Jesus as the good teacher Jesus, good friend Jesus, or lover Jesus, 
that we can self-identify, but Jesus said that's not accurate. He is God. He is deity who created all things. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 45, whoever sees me, he sees who, who sent me, equating himself with a God again. Now in this portion of scripture, where it talks about Jesus being the firstborn of all creation, that's down in verse, uh, excuse me, 15, He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That might lead you to think that Jesus is saying, I am created. He's not. That wording that Paul uses there is an intentional word to reference a position of authority, a position of standing, and a position of being the firstborn, having the highest privilege above every other member of the family. Matter of fact, if you get a knock at your door sometimes, that you'll get uh, Jehovah's Witnesses come and they'll say, and I've had this happen, they'll say, look, it says Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. How do you explain that? And I would say this, if all things were created by him and through him and for him, how could he be created? Because he created everything, right? which they usually are stumped and not sure how to answer at that point. Number three in these verses, verses 17 and 18, Paul says, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent. He's the sovereign Christ, the creating Christ, the eternal Christ. He's the sovereign Christ. Look what it says, all things are held together by Christ. All things held together. So the creating Christ not only created all things, he keeps it together. And Jesus modeled this, if you will, in Mark chapter four, verse 35 through 41. You remember Jesus was in the boat with his disciples and he was going from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other and a big storm comes up and Jesus is asleep in the boat and his disciples start panicking and freaking out. And they're like, we're gonna die, we're gonna drown. And they wake Jesus up, quick, quick, don't you care about us? Then he gets up and he speaks and the waves and the storm and the wind just die. And they're even more freaked at that point because they say, who is this? Who can stop the wind and the storm? It's the sovereign Christ who spoke and the storm stopped. It says that he is over all things, not some things, all things. He is preeminent. He is the supreme Christ that we worship. And he's in control of everything. Think about this for a minute. If Christ ever removes his hand of sovereignty, the world and the universe falls apart. There's no more tides, there's no more seasons, there's no more days, there's no more light, night. He created it all and he put it together and he controls and sustains it. And yet we think, and if you watch TV and the news and you read our textbooks, we're taught that all this happened by chance and, you know, 
it just kind of sticks together magically. It doesn't. Christ created it, and he sustains it. Now, that's not to say that you and I aren't to be stewards of his creation. We are, especially as followers of Christ, we are to be good stewards. But Jesus, Jesus is in control. Might I remind us that one day Jesus will decide enough's enough. And he'll restore everything back to his intended original purpose, free of sin. Fourth, in this passage, I want you to look at me, uh, look with me at verses 20 through 22. And through him, insert the word Jesus there, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So now is he the creating Christ, he's the eternal Christ, he's the sovereign Christ, and he's the saving Christ. Jesus is the saving Christ. He created it, he sustains it, and then more importantly for us, he has saved us and his creation. If you are familiar with the book of Romans, even creation is out of sync right now. It says all creation groans because of sin, is out of sync. Our lives are groaning and out of sync until we come back into right relationship with our creator. And Jesus is the savior, Christ. It says that he would reconcile all things, all things back to himself. Jesus is the saving Christ, if you will, who does everything necessary to restore the broken relationship we have with God. Now that's where it's a little weird sometimes for me. In a black and white sense, if we are more connected to Christ's church than we are Christ, how could a church a building, a group of people really affect my salvation? Well, it can't. See, the problem is we read through the scriptures and as Jesus would say, come and see, find out I'm the Messiah, they were always confronted with the gospel. Isaiah chapter 59, verse two says this, your sin has separated you from God so that he can not even look upon you. Romans, again, verse uh, chapter three says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans six, that says, uh, the wages of sin is death. So the problem is, we have sin, right? That separates us from God. And God is holy and righteous and perfect. And the only way to stand before a holy, perfect, righteous God is to be holy, perfect, and righteous. Well, I can't take one breath before I violate that. And so Christ comes to be the redeemer, reconciler 
who puts everything back into place so that us who have been created by him and for him can now be back with him again. And so when Jesus would teach this, it would rile people up, like John 14, 6, and again, engage people today and say, just like Jesus did to Thomas, Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life, that nobody comes to the Father except through him. That does not make people feel good usually. They get riled, they get angry because they're confronted with their sin. Even John chapter one is John the Baptist speaks of Jesus. He said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the saving Christ who came to reconcile all things to himself. So how'd you do so far? You know, you're gonna meet and talk with somebody. Did you get and include Jesus is the creating Christ. He's the eternal Christ or he's deity. He's uh, the sovereign Christ that holds it all together. And he's the saving Christ. Is that the way you describe your faith to people? All about Christ? Or is it more about the donuts we will eat in a little bit? Well, what are the implications of this? The implications of this and the take-homes, I've got four of them this morning. First, you've been created by Christ and for Christ. And therefore, everything will find its proper place only in Jesus. Your life only makes sense clearly when you are back in relationship with the Christ who created you. You have a worth because you've been created intentionally by him and for him. Every single one of us, even the ones that are not in relationship with Christ yet, have been created with a sense of worth. You are worth something because Christ created you. Not only do we have a worth, but we have a purpose. And what is our purpose? Our purpose is to love and worship to serve and to know and relate to Christ. You're created by and for Christ. Therefore, joy and peace and contentment really only find their place through Christ. Because you're created by Christ, he has full rights over your life. Full rights over your life. Now, that might make you think a little bit, I, I can buy the other stuff, but don't start that. That Jesus has full rights over our life? Well, if he created you, yes, he does. And he did create you. Because Jesus created all things and is sovereign over all things. I would say also, we don't need to worry about anything. Think about it. He created it. He brought it into existence. He sustains it all. It's in his control. What are the things we worry about? Nothing in Christ's control is ever out of control. Can you say that? 
Nothing in Christ's control is ever out of control. And so what's the question? What's in Christ's control? Well, we just read it. Everything. I can trust. I can have faith. I need not worry about the world that I live in because I can trust Christ. Jesus alone, therefore, is the cure for the things that worry us and not us, that we think we can control and have to work out. Instead, we can trust him and walk with him and rely on him. Number two, the second takeaway is the eternal Christ really sets Christianity apart from every other religion. The eternal Christ sets everything apart. God becoming flesh and never losing his deity is unique simply to Christianity. You know, today, you can't find a tomb that has Jesus' body in it. I've been to Israel, Kim and I have. They have two different places. They think Jesus was buried. And you can walk in, but there's no Jesus there. Well, you can find tombs of other gods that groups worship that have a body. There's no tomb with Jesus' body in it. He is deity. He is seated down at the right hand of God. Jesus alone can redeem and reconcile and restore you in your relationship with God. And again, no church can do that, but only Jesus can do that. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Because he's eternal and sovereign, he holds your faith firmly in his hand. What a, what a weary, tiring thing to think if your faith is fragile and you have to keep working, working, working to try and keep it. Remember on the cross when Jesus cried out these words, it's finished. It's finished. Everything that needs to be done to bring his creation back into relationship with him is finished. Well, how does that happen? It comes by believing and trusting in Christ, knowing that he is the creating Christ, the eternal Christ, the sovereign Christ, and the saving Christ. Christ not only saves for the future, but he saves for now. He changes the way we think. He gives us the ability to fight sin and to live lives worshiping and serving him. So not only saves for the future, but for now, a third thing that I want us to take away this morning is Christ is the head of the church, which means there's no church without Christ. Christ established his church. He sustains his church. And so you and I have to be very, very careful that our church experience doesn't trump the Christ that we worship. Be very, very careful of that. You know, I've heard over the years people say, well, I, I love Jesus, but I don't like his church. Really? You can't. You can't say you love Jesus and hate his church. It's his church. 
You know what you really don't like is seeing all the other sinful people like yourself that mess up Jesus' church. You know who the church is? Look around. Look around in the seats by you. Right? That's the church. Followers of Christ. Not a building. It's followers of Christ. And guess who messes up Jesus' church? We do. Right? You know, it's always easier to follow, not easy, easier to follow some of those uh, things that Jesus told us to do. But you know one of the ones that are really hard to follow is like love your enemies, like forgive those who sin against you. Oh, those are fun, aren't they? Uh, we, we just kind of leave those off to the side as followers of Christ or investing and giving of yourself to other people, regardless of whether you get anything. In your anger, do not sin. Be quick to forgive. You know, all those things. And they're a struggle for us, self-included. But those are the things that the world looks at us. So if you're a follower of Christ, we're supposed to do it a little differently, amen? Jesus is the head of his church, which means he has full say over why the church exists and what you and I are to do. I wanted to tell you this morning that the church, no church, is a democracy. They're only Christocracies. Christocracies mean that Christ and Christ alone is the head of his church. You and I really have no say. I better be careful to act like we should have a say. He's the head of his church and he sets the agenda. And he calls us to be his disciples, to equip people and to reach people with the gospel so more people come in and then get equipped to go out and tell the world. Christ is the head of his church. And so he shows us how to love people. He shows us how to serve people. He shows us how to forgive people. And he tells us what our passions and our priorities are supposed to be like. And those are supposed to be his. Finally, the last takeaway is I want us to grasp this. Christ is knowable. He is personal. And he relates to us. Christ is knowable, personal, and relates to us. Jesus still says to people today, come and see. Come and see who I am. And you know how he does that? He puts people in your path and my path. And our job is to say, well, well let's come with me and stand before Jesus and find out who he is. He still says, come and see. Come be with me and then go do the things that I did. Jesus is knowable, he's personal, and he relates to you. But when we try to substitute a church building or a church experience for that, it's pretty short-lived, isn't it? Christ and Christ alone who wants to relate to us 
who is the Christ that we've been reading about this morning, is the one who puts all the pieces together. He's preeminent, he's supreme, and he's the center of our faith. Christ is noble. You know, scripture says these three things. I learned this a long, long time ago and they've stuck with me. It says this, if you seek him, you will find him. If you seek Christ, you will find him. He doesn't hide himself from us, but he calls to us. He says, come find out more about me. Come ask your questions. Come seek me. If you seek me, you will find me. Second, Jesus says, if you call to him, he will answer. He's not a silent God. He's a knowable God. If you call to him, he will answer. He always interacts with us. Now, how does he do that? Obviously, he doesn't walk the earth now like he did. He does that through his word. He speaks to us. He does that through other followers. He speaks to us. He does that through the Holy Spirit that lives in your heart. If you are a follower of Christ, if you call to him, he will answer. Lastly, if you draw close to him, he will draw close to you. Jesus did not create you to be a robot. Just fill your head with some academic knowledge that you can repeat to other people. If you draw close to him, he will draw close to you. And his offer today is to walk with you closely, to sit with you in the good and the bad times, to relate with you. And he offers this life-giving relationship that brings peace between you and God again by reconciling all things to himself. So what keeps that from happening? Us. Seek him, you will find him. Call to him, he will answer. Draw close to him, and he will draw close to you. We're the obstacle. We're the thing that keeps that from happening. So this next month, we will dig into the Jesus who not only says, come, come and see, but says, come be with me. And then he'll say, come join me. And we'll learn about that. Jesus, the creating Christ. Jesus, the eternal Christ, whose deity. Jesus, the sovereign Christ. And Jesus, the saving Christ. That's what we have to share with the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this morning, thank you for your patience with us. And also for the example of those who have come before us who wrestled with the same things we wrestle with. For the way we can drift in our faith and make our faith more than just you. But as we've read this morning and as you proclaim, these are your words. You are the final answer to our world and to our own life. You created us and you have rightful ownership to our life. And until our relationship is restored with you, nothing fits, nothing makes sense. No successes, no money, no 
power, no prideful positions, all the things that we try to use to find that peace never fits. Near the eternal Christ and the sovereign Christ who holds it all together and then finally the saving Christ. Lord, I pray for those that are here this morning that would have been honest before you and said, really, I think my faith is more about church than it is about you, Jesus. And then maybe I don't feel so comfortable sharing Jesus with others because I just don't know that much about you. And I would pray that as we look into your word for this next month, that we will not only learn more about you and to those that are wrestling with their faith, that they would turn that over and pray and ask you to be their savior. The saving Christ who offers that for any who would repent. Anyone that would repent and proclaim that they're a sinner in need of forgiveness. I pray that. Lord, for those of us who worry, might your sovereignty and the fact that you created us and walk with us be the thing that we begin to find faith and trust in. And for us that get busy and caught up in church things, that we not forget that this is your church created by you and for you. to make us more like you and then to send us into your world to share that. So Lord, uh, thanks for being gracious to us this morning and merciful as we've looked into these things. Might our hearts hear your Holy Spirit even now speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen.